So a fellow comes into synagogue and says to the rabbi, Rabbi, I want to be a priest. I want to be a Kohen. People know this, right? So don't laugh ahead of time, okay? The rabbi answers, you know, not everybody can become a Kohen, a priest. But this fellow, he persists. He says, no, I really want to be a Kohen. I have to be a priest. I must be a Kohen. I'm willing to do anything. To which the rabbi sadly gives the same reply. Look, says this guy, I have to be a priest. I'm willing to donate a, th- a million dollars to the synagogue. I upped it. You know, I upped it. Okay. Ten million dollars to the synagogue if you make me a Kohen. Just please ordain me a Kohen. Ordain me a Kohen. The rabbi says, okay, if you want it so badly, fine. The rabbi says, listen, because of your, your generosity, I hereby will confer upon you honorary Kohen status. The fellow agrees. The transaction is complete. The rabbi says, now, would you please, want, do you mind telling me, why is it that you want to be a Kohen so badly? The fellow says, my grandfather was a Kohen. My father was a Kohen. Now, this joke is funny because everyone here knows that you can't become a Kohen that way. You can't buy your way into the kuna, into the priestly caste in this tradition. You have to be born a Kohen. You're either a Kohen by birth or not at all. Not only, right, not only does the kuna pass through an inheritance, through hereditary status, but there are certain things about the kuna, about the priestly caste, that are very difficult. Very, very problematic for a Kohen. And so on a week that began with this community holding 600 people last Shabbat morning, holding me and my wife Ariel as we welcomed a new light into the world, this Or, our third son whose name means light. On a week that began that way, and then of course as the week progressed, conversations about a priestly caste or a political caste that one can buy oneself into, continue to appear on all of our, our, our TV screens, on our, on our laptops, on our computers, on a week that found us here in New York City walking up and down, seeing people who had completed and become graduates, who had earned a certain status. On this week of nature and nurture, on those who are born into and those who can buy into, we arrive at Parshat Emor, the Parsha, the weekly wisdom that deals with the priests, what makes a priest qualified to be a priest, to serve in the temple, and what disqualifies a priest. And in that conversation about priestly qualification and disqualification, two words are in tension with each other. The first word is tamim. Can everybody say that? Tamim. Tamim means perfect, unblemished without defect. To be tamim is to be whole. Shleimut, completion. Tamimut is sometimes simplicity, simplicity that contains. Tamim. The priests, we are told, are to be tamimim, to be whole. 
And in order for them to be whole, the second word comes into play, a word that will appear 10 times in the book of Leviticus, all 10 times here in this week's Parsha concerning a Kohen, a priest. The Torah will enumerate mumim. Can you say a mum? Mum. A mum is a blemish. A mum is a defect. It's something that's wrong, a chip. The Torah will invite us into a very difficult Parsha, a Parsha that is so painful to read. There are Kohanim, the Torah says, that are born with quote-unquote mumim, defects. And in its own symmetrical, beautiful way, the book of Leviticus, which is so concerned with order from chaos, it will enumerate 12, and that number is so tamim, it's so pure and holy in the biblical writer's mind, 12 defects, 12 whole defects. This Kohanic class, as it were, are to play with the pristine tmimut of a body that has knows no blemish, no defect whatsoever. This painful marginalization and disqualification of individuals. Perfect people are to bring perfect animals before the perfect God. These perfect priests. And only then, the Torah tells us, if these conditions are all upheld, then God says, I will be sanctified. When I read this piece of the Torah, I want to scream, I found a defect in the Torah, Tashem Tmima. I found a mum in the Torah, which is described as tamim, as perfect. I think of Salieri in Peter Schaeffer's Amadeus, the character whose own mediocrity and jealousy turned him into a cane, hating Amadeus' genius. He was resigned to complain to God, why did you make me with the desire to serve you and then give me no talent to do so? Priests who are born into a hereditary caste and then excluded from that caste. Before we go any further, let's be honest. Our tradition is not the only tradition that had physical priestly purity and perfection required. In the ancient world, the Greeks, the Hindus, the Babylonians, and other cultures as well. In fact, if we are honest, the notion of physical perfection is still around today. People might know how much of an effort was went into hiding FDR's paralysis from the public, lest the public see a leader who was less than perfect. This perfection, let's be honest, this Torah is a period piece that tells us more about the people who were writing the Torah at that point and what their image of perfection was that it tells each and every one of us about what being perfect really means. And luckily enough for us, the Torah in its tibimut, in its wholesomeness, evolved. And so by a thousand years and, there, and even more than that, the rabbis of the Talmud already had difficulty with this notion of perfection the Midrash, the rabbis say, everything that God made disqualified in an animal and in a priest, God loves in regular folk. 
Lev nishbar v'nitker Elohim lo tivzeh. A broken vessel, say the rabbis 1,500 years later, said a broken vessel is the holiest thing that God wants. God says the Midrash is mishtamesh bekelim shivurim. God uses broken vessels. Vessels that are broken, that are cracked. And guess what? That's all of us. That's all of us. The spirituality of imperfection is the spirituality of our deep humanity. The rabbis realize that this Kohanic injunction after the destruction of the temple is no longer the ethos, it is no longer the way of things. The way of things is, is that each and every one of us carries a mum. Each and every one of us is a baal mum. We have our own mums. And so often, the culture we live in is afraid of acknowledging mumitis. <laughs> I had a friend this week who called me up and said, you know, Rabbi, I'm depressed. And I said to him, you're not depressed, you're sad. And he said, how did you know? I said, this, 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 and this is happening in your life. You're a human being, you're sad. You just gave birth, you just moved on, you just changed jobs. To be human is to live with a perennial longing for wholeness that is never complete. And in our incompletion, we are complete. In our mum, in our little moments of fragility and vulnerability, we express the deep divine truth that we are born with mums. And then the Torah says something amazing about how to know what your mum is. Are you my mummy? Right? Are you what? <laughs> how do you know what your mum is? Says the Gemara. If you want to move from the perfection, the absolutely unachievable perfection of the Kohanic priest into a world of ethical and moral development, here's your first lesson, says the Gemara. When you judge someone else and find a blemish in them, turn it around. Says the Gemara in Menachos. The Gemara says... Rabbis living 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, said here's the deep psychological insight of our tradition that if you look into the world and see defects, check your own vision. Call up posel, those who disqualify, they do it with their own mum. There was a great spiritual teacher who's alive today. Her name is Byron Katie. Some of you might be familiar with her work. It's called The Work, Byron Katie. Byron's work in the world, in the work that she calls it, is asking each and every person that shows up in front of her four basic questions. I won't go into all four of them, but trust me, they're very powerful. Look her up, Byron Katie. One of the questions she asks is this. Whatever it is that you are claiming is happening outside, turn it around. He's so ugly, I feel so ugly. She's so judgmental, I feel so judgmental. She's so critical, I feel so critical. 
The role of each and every one of us as a priest is not to live a life without mums. That's impossible. Each and every one of us has our mummies. But the work of ethical and moral development is to the ability to know and to own when you've given a mum away or when you've shamed someone else's mum. When someone else doesn't meet your physical criteria and yet you go around saying, you know, I'm so tired of a culture that judges us. And then you judge yourself and you look in the mirror, you judge your sister, you judge your brother. So much of the ethical and moral work that each and every one of us does is first and foremost to see how our own perception of the world judges and finds lacking and to own it. Self-deception, though, is at every turn. Hasidim say that once there were three young men who hid themselves on Shabbat in a farm, in a barn, and they were going to smoke a cigarette, and they were smoking, and some of their fellow Hasidim found them, and they wanted to, uh, I don't know, flog them maybe. And said, one youth said, what are you doing here? He said, it wasn't my fault. I forgot today was Shabbat. The second one said, I forgot that smoking on Shabbat is forbidden. And then the third one wanted to join in and said, I also forgot. And the one who found them said, well, what did you forget? He said, I forgot to lock the door. At least one of them was honest. At least one of them told the truth. Telling the truth about our vulnerabilities, our fragilities, our weaknesses, our blemishes, being able to own that and to bring a place of chesed, a place of loving kindness, to touch that place of woundedness, of I'm on the, the road. That's very hard for us and it's actually really, really important. I want to finish with an interesting note. The word tamim, which means perfect, whole, wholesome, appears for the first time in the Torah when God tells Abraham to, to circumcise his son. samim says the Torah, walk before me and be whole. And how amazing it is as a father of three young men, three boys, three babies, really. I'm already like pushing them forward. You know? How amazing it is for me to think, and again, this is not apologetics for circumcision. Some people think, you know, I'm not getting into the debate. Hi. I'm not getting into the debate. But one thing I know about, circum about Brit Milah is this. The Torah says, be whole. And then God commands Abraham to place a defect, to remove something, to make a blemish. I'm not saying you should have a circumcision with your children, whatever the politics of that is and all the research on it. But the word tmimut, to be whole, includes something that's missing, that's something that's lacking. And our capacity to be fragile with what is missing shows great strength. Vulnerability is tremendous. So I'll finish with the great Kohen, the great priest, Leonard, who borrowed from Ralph Waldo Emerson when Emerson said that there is a crack in all that God has made, and then Leonard Cohen said, that's where the light gets in. 
for my little boy, Or, whose light came in through the cracks in my life. And for all of those things in all of our lives that will only come when we see our vulnerabilities, the cracks in all of our things, as part of what makes us lovable and whole. <laughs>